Welcome to the Covenant Journey Podcast. We hope to inform, inspire, and encourage you to deepen your faith, knowledge, and love of our Lord Jesus as we explore the timeless treasures of the Bible. Join us now as we explore God's Word. Against all odds, we're going to be talking about the story of Esther. I'm Matt Staver, founder and chairman of Covenant Journey. Our story begins in the book of Esther, and it's an amazing book. I encourage you to read it. It's always encouraging to see God's hand of protection. And this is just one of many stories, like the story of the Exodus, and when the people of Israel actually left Egypt and were faced with the Egyptians in the rear and the Red Sea before them, and they had no place to go, and God intervened when all human possibility had been exhausted. And the same is true in the book of Esther. And so what we have in Esther chapter 4, Mordecai, who's related to Queen Esther, and the story is amazing how Esther becomes the queen. That's in the earlier chapters of the book of Esther. Mordecai is related to Esther. And so he learns about the plot to kill the Jews, about the decree that's going out to ultimately destroy the Jews. And so in chapter 4, the um, issue was broadcast loud in across the land about this decree that Haman had manipulated to ultimately eliminate the Jews. So Mordecai goes to the king's gate. He wasn't uh, allowed to enter, and so he fasted and he wept and he lamented, and he lay in sackcloth and ashes. Esther Uh, ultimately hears about this, and she sends out nice garments to clothe Mordecai. He refuses to accept them, and he keeps on his sackcloth, and he keeps on mourning. Esther eventually uh, speaks to Mordecai, and Mordecai explains uh, what the situation is. And in verse 12, they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther. And this is what he said. He's not personally speaking to her. He's just relaying messages where he is, and the queen is inside. Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise from the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. That's that famous quote, coming to the kingdom for, quote, such a time as this. Who knows? But God puts you here for this moment in history. So Esther responds to Mordecai. She says, go gather all the Jews that are found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, And if I perish, I perish. And they prayed for three days. Eventually what happens is Esther risks her life and she goes before the king. And that was in those days life-threatening because if the king did not summon the queen for her to appear in his presence when she was not summoned by the king, he could simply eliminate her. And she knew that. And so she ends up going before the king without being summoned, and the king ultimately gives her favor. And he says, what is it, Queen Esther, in chapter 5, 
verse 3. What is your request? It shall be given to you, even up to half of my kingdom. Esther said, If it please the king, let the king and Haman, and she knew Haman was part of the plot to kill the Jews, come today to a feast that I have prepared for the king. So the king is very happy about that. And Haman now gets invited, listen to this, to a banquet with the king and the queen. He is incredibly elated over this. And he tells his friends, I'm going to a banquet. Me, Haman, I've been invited to go to a private banquet, if you will, with the king and his queen, Esther. And so, no doubt, he is bragging and He's already got this plot underway to kill the Jews, and all things are going in his favor. And so he actually commands that a gallows be built, a place to hang his enemy, Mordecai, because remember, Mordecai would not bow down to him whenever he was sent, uh, sitting at the gate and Haman would walk in and out of the gate. Other people would bow down to him. Mordecai would not. He hated Mordecai, not just because he was a Jew, but he hated him because he would not bow down to him, and he wanted to eliminate him. So he built this gallows, uh, and he then joyfully went on to the feast of the king. While the gallows are being built, his neighbors know that he's planning to hang Mordecai on this, and he is rising quickly within the kingdom of Persia. Persia, by the way, was the most powerful power, government, nation on the planet. This was the Persian Empire, the great Persian Empire. So the banquet is in chapter 6, and it's a wonderful banquet. And they have uh, great food, and I'm sure they have some other entertainment, and it's a wonderful experience for all that are there. And at the end, the king asks Esther, now Esther, You've made this wonderful banquet for me. What is it that you want? And instead of telling him what she wants, she says, I would like to actually throw you another banquet. Well, the king is delighted with that. And so they plan a second banquet. And during the time frame, the king ultimately uh, learns about Mordecai, who ultimately protected the king's life earlier when a rumor uh, was heard by him that there was a plot to kill the king. And Mordecai ultimately informed the sources of it, and the plot was ultimately defeated. And so what happens here is the king learns about this, and they are things that happened in history for which Mordecai was never rewarded. What happened, however, is the king asked, will, uh, you know, who has done anything to Mordecai? And the answer is nobody. Nobody has done anything to honor him. And the king ultimately says, then we need to honor him. And he calls Haman in. I love this, in chapter 6. And he calls in Haman. And they said, nothing in verse 3 has been done for him. That's what he finds out. Then he says, who's in the court? Well, they look outside and they said, well, Haman has just entered the outer court of the king. He wanted to obviously come to visit the king. So he's going to come and pay the king a private visit. The king says, great, bring Haman in. The king's uh, 
young men bring Haman in, and he stands now before the king. And so Haman comes in, and he's there with the king. And the king asks this hypothetical question. What should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? Of course, Haman's thinking to himself, whom would the king delight to honor more than me? And Haman said to the king, For the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn, and the horse that the king has ridden, and on whose head a royal crown is set, and let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor, and let them lead him on the horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. That's the refrain that these people should chant, and that the person leading the horse must ultimately chant as their leading this honored man through the city. Then the king said to Haman, Hurry up. That's great. Take the robes and the horse, as you have said, and do so to Mordecai the Jew, who sits at the king's gate. Leave out nothing that you have mentioned. This is a punch in the gut to Mordecai, or to Haman. He has just gone to a banquet not long before this, privately invited. And just before he left for that banquet, he was so sure that the Jews were going to die and that he was going to ultimately eliminate his adversary because he wouldn't bow down to him, Mordecai, that he commanded that a gallows, a place to hang Mordecai, be erected. And so it was under construction. Now he goes to visit the king, the king brings him in, and he asks him a question, and he gives an answer, because he's thinking, this is what I would like to have done to me. The king says, hurry up and do it then. And the person I want to honor is Mordecai. And so what happens is Haman, whose arch enemy is Mordecai, is now put in a situation where what he wanted to be done to him is being done to Mordecai, and He's going to parade him through the streets, and he's going to continue to shout, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Well, the second banquet comes up. The death decree is still in place. He knows that he has been humiliated now by honoring the person that he's building the gallows to kill. But the word that he was going to hang Mordecai on the gallows apparently had not yet reached the king. Obviously, other people knew about it because they would ask him about, what are you building? Why are you building it? Who are you planning to hang? So his neighbors certainly knew. Some of the people in the community in the city knew, but the king had not heard that word yet. So there's a second banquet. And in that second banquet, the king asked the same question to Esther, what shall I do for you? What is it that you want? Up to half of the kingdom. And what ultimately happens is Esther says, there is somebody who wants to kill me and my people. And the king is outraged at that. Who would want to kill Queen Esther? Well, it's this man here that's sitting at the banquet table. And you can just imagine all of the blood just went from Mordecai's face. I mean, talk about 
a punch in the gut. That didn't even compare to the punch in the gut that he experienced when he had to learn that he was going to honor Mordecai. Now the king is angry because this man, Mordecai, was plotting to kill the Jews, which would have ultimately included the queen, who's Jewish. And so the decree can't be revoked. That's the problem with the Persian law at the time. And that's one of those situations where you can't lobby the king and he can't just change his mind. Once he has signed a law of the Persians, it cannot be revoked. It has to be completed. You can't repeal it. You can't modify it. You can't refuse to enforce it. It has to be enforced. Well, the law says that on a certain day, all of the Jews will be killed. But that can't be reversed. It's impossible to reverse that under the laws of the Persians. So what he ultimately does is he allows the Jewish people to fight back. And so the Jewish people on that particular day do fight back. And the fear of the Lord was instilled in the people. And in fact, at the end of chapter 8, it says in the last sentence, and many from the peoples of the country declared themselves Jews for fear of the Jews had fallen on them. They actually said, yeah, I'm Jewish. I identify with the Jews. I'm not Persian. I'm not this or that. I'm, a, I'm Jewish. They declared themselves to be Jews because they now were terrified by the Jews that God had ultimately put the fear in these people against the uh, Jews that they were going to eliminate and the Jews were able to defend themselves. And we know what ultimately happened is that they did defend themselves and those that wanted to destroy them, the Jews ultimately fought back and destroyed. And there were other people obviously that didn't attack them, otherwise they no doubt would have, but because of the change of circumstances, as the chapter 8 concludes, the fear of the Jews had fallen upon them, and they identified with the Jews, and they didn't want to have anything to do with killing the Jews. There were some radicals that still wanted to wipe them out, but they weren't successful. And as a result of this particular situation, this miraculous turn of events, the Jews today still are an identifiable people group. Israel is an identifiable nation, over 70 years of age, going back to May 1948 in its modern time of reestablishment as a nation. It's a leading nation in the world in so many different ways. And they celebrate worldwide the Feast of Purim. And that is to celebrate this victory uh, over those who ultimately wiped them out. The Persian kingdom is gone. The Jews still exist. The language still continues. Hebrew is still spoken. Israel is a nation, and it's a world leader. And none of that would be possible in human terms. But God ultimately, miraculously turned this around. And how did it begin? It began with God's people, Mordecai and the other people, Esther and her people, fasting and praying for three days 
and then getting up off of their knees and becoming engaged, and God ultimately worked a miracle. It is just as much a miracle as what you see crossing the Red Sea. There are places throughout our scriptures that are there, not as just old story books, but it's the same God then as it is today, and despite what the odds appear, and when it is frankly impossible, as it was for Moses and those crossing the Red Sea, as it was for Esther and Mordecai to survive, yet even when we face situations that are humanly impossible, prayer changes things, and God will protect his people. So never, ever, ever get discouraged and never, ever forget who is in control and who remains on the throne. Continue to pray and fast. Whether it's our nation, whether it's the world, whether it's your family, whether it's your personal situation, God will ultimately protect his people and intervene. And God is the same God today as he was yesterday and will be forever. And also, I encourage you to read the Word of God because it's in the pages of Scripture where our faith is continued to be renewed. Read the Word of God. It speaks to us throughout generations and press in to our Lord Jesus Christ. For more information, visit covenantjourney.org. You've been listening to the Covenant Journey podcast. We hope that we have informed, inspired, and encouraged you to deepen your faith, knowledge, and love for our Lord Jesus as we've explored the Word of God. Visit covenantjourney.org where you can obtain additional notes and information to enhance your study of the Scriptures. The website again is covenantjourney.org. You can also email us at cj at covenantjourney.org. Share this podcast with your friends. Visit covenantjourney.org.